0: Hi, Vetfolio Voice listeners, welcome back. It's Dr. Cassie, and for this episode, sponsored by Zoetis, I was joined by Dr. Sarah Mara, who not only has an amazing name and the most beautiful Southern accent, but was here to talk about a product that I absolutely love, and that is Silencia, or Frunivet Mab Injection. For years, we've struggled with feline arthritis both recognizing it in the exam room and getting owners on board with the diagnosis and also having safe and effective drugs to treat these patients. I fell in love with Silencia when I saw one of my very favorite, very geriatric feline patients show substantial improvement in her mobility and overall quality of life, despite dealing with arthritis and multiple other pretty serious comorbidities. And it sounds like Dr. Mara has had similar experience in her own practice. In this episode, we'll talk about recognizing feline arthritis and important aspects of client communication when discussing arthritis, as well as how to practically incorporate Silencia into your day-to-day practice. Dr. Sarah Mara grew up in Birmingham, Alabama and attended Auburn University for undergrad as well as veterinary school. She graduated from Auburn University College of Veterinary Medicine in 2012. Dr. Mara started her career practicing mixed animal medicine in Washington, Georgia. She palpated cows at the stockyard, took her own after hours call, and learned a whole lot as she went. Thankfully, she had an amazing boss who was really encouraging and taught her a tremendous amount. She now lives and works outside Columbia, South Carolina at a small animal practice. She's an extrovert and a people person, and she loves getting to know her clients, which very much comes through in our talk here today. Her favorite aspects of practice are internal medicine, wound healing, and finding humor in the everyday parts of veterinary medicine. She loves SEC football. Her and I have that in common, although she's saying war eagle and I'm saying go Gators. She also loves reading and baking. She has a charming two-year-old son and a spirited four-year-old daughter, and her and her husband love camping and exploring the outdoors with the kids. They also have a pit mix named Jill to complete the family. All right, let's go ahead and get into our talk. Well, thank you so much for joining me. We're here to talk about a, a topic that I'm really excited about, I feel really passionately about, and that is osteoarthritis in cats and then about silencia.
1: Yes. Yes. I'm so excited too. It's, it's really been a game changer at my practice and, and I'm excited for everybody to hear more about it and hopefully start putting it to use more in their clinics too.
0: Absolutely. So before we jump into talking about Silencia, let's talk about osteoarthritis in cats because you know we, we talk about how this is probably more common than what we're diagnosing, but what do the statistics actually tell us?
1: Yeah. So osteoarthritis really is more prevalent in cats than, than we think right off the bat, 60% of cats over age six already have some type of radiographic change indicative of osteoarthritis. And we also know too, that 90% of cats over age 12 have radiographic changes indicative of arthritis. And that's a huge percentage of our patients, especially as cats are living longer and longer. You know, you think about the number of cats you see in private practice that are over, you know, six or seven years old, that's a huge chunk of your patients. So we know that it's there, even if we're not seeing it right off the bat, it's there.
0: Gosh, 60% over six years old. I mean, that that's a ton of cats. And over 12 years old, that's almost all of them. Exactly. A lot. Wow. That's a, a ton of patients that if we're not diagnosing this pretty frequently, then it sounds like we're missing it you know, kind of this gradual onset of symptoms where owners might not even realize that their cat's showing symptoms. So what do we do about that? How do we talk to owners and how do we as veterinarians start detecting this a little bit earlier?
1: Yeah, and you're right. It really is kind of an insidious change that isn't something that's going to happen in a couple of days or weeks or months or even, you know, over a year sometimes. I think one of the first things we can do is educate owners. They're the ones who are seeing their cats day in, day out. We might get 10 minutes once a year with their cat. And so we certainly are just going to see the tip of the iceberg of that cat's behavior, mobility. So I think, you know, letting people know that cats do get arthritis. That sounds so simple, but in talking with friends and and cat owners, I've had many, many intelligent people who have said, oh, I didn't even know cats got arthritis. That's a thing. So I think just just letting owners know, especially when you are seeing kind of your young to middle aged cats, you know, when you're talking about daily wellness, diet, litter box habits, you know, go ahead and and throw in mobility, movement, how they're jumping as things to kind of keep an eye on at home between those, you know, just once a a year or once every six month visits.
0: So when you talk about the habits that these cats are displaying and and how to educate owners. I think that's really insightful where you mentioned we might see them for 10 minutes once a year. And so really having the owners help us out and tell us what they're seeing at home. Can you dive a little bit more into the specifics of what we're looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the first
1: things to point out to owners is cats with osteoarthritis pain will still often do the things that they have historically done. They will still go up the stairs, they'll still jump up on the counter, they may still, you know, have bouts of of time where they want to play, but they're going to do these things differently. And I think I'm educating them on how cats may change their posture or their angle of their body when they're going upstairs, for instance, when they're in pain versus when they're healthy, or having them watch their cat carefully when he or she is jumping. You know, as a two-year-old, cats can make a a really effortless bound up to the top of a a tall surface. A 12- or 15-year-old cat may still be able to get up to that same surface, but he or she may really have to grab with the front legs. They may really pull themselves with their back legs. They may have to take a practice jump or two before they actually make it on top. Zoetis has developed a cat osteoarthritis pain checklist, which has been really helpful. I've used that as a handout for many, many owners. I've had them skim over that in the room during a visit with their cat. I have phrased it to people as, hey, this is a behavior checklist, because it really is monitoring their, their cat's behaviors at home. And again, we're not often going to see those behaviors in the clinic unless their cat has a wild hair and decides to jump or really do something exciting for us. So I have been using the osteoarthritis pain checklist to educate myself, my staff, and my owners so that we even know what to look for, because you can't begin to treat anything until you know what to look for.
0: And that's interesting that you phrase it as a behavior checklist. Like, it sounds like we're, and I'm 100% on board with this, where we're almost taking into account, like, our patient's behavior, of course, but also a little bit of, like, their owner's behaviors.
1: Yes, definitely. You know, I I think, and I've experienced this firsthand, I've had some owners um, get a little defensive when I've talked to them about pain. I think, number one, they... Don't want to feel accused, you know, that they haven't been taking good enough care of their pet or that something bad has been going on that they haven't noticed. And and that certainly is not the case at all. But also, too, with kind of the lack of understanding historically that surrounded osteoarthritis pain in cats and the understanding of that condition people just really don't know it's out there and so you know I've, I've handed this <laughs> checklist to folks and said I have some information about pain for you to look at and they've handed it right back and said well my cat's not in pain I don't need this but thank you <laughs> and that it's was so a, certainly a dead end for me so I really do like phrasing it as a behavior checklist because that's what it boils down to is how is the cat behaving at home how are they moving?
0: Absolutely. And I don't think I would have even thought about it unless you know, I'd had those experiences that you're talking about. So I love the idea of incorporating the checklist to, to pick up on those subtle behaviors that, like you said, we're not going to see that in the clinic. It's not going to be easy to pick up on during the exam. But then also making sure that we keep the owners on board for getting us the information we need to make this diagnosis, considering how common it is.
1: Exactly. And I think subtle is the key word. It says really subtle changes at home. Um, These cats are not going to be like a yellow lab with a torn ACL limping all the way across the parking lot. We really do have to partner up with our feline owners and and really rely on them to get us a lot of information about how their cat is doing at home. Um, I love to have owners take videos of their cats doing everyday day. behaviors at home, whether it be jumping, running, playing, moving up or down the stairs, that is a tremendous help to me. One, to see them in their kind of natural environment. And two, it gives me an opportunity to point out to owners subtle changes that may indicate pain. And sometimes once they see it, they're like, oh yeah, he, he didn't used to do that. And that, that can be really powerful as a kind of a teaching tool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, these behaviors are really subtle. And this checklist am I right? It it has animations, right? Where you can actually kind of see how they move. And, you know, so I think taking those videos and then comparing to some of the motions that you're seeing in this checklist can be really telling.
1: Yes. So the behaviors they cover are climbing upstairs and climbing downstairs, chasing moving objects or playing, jumping up and jumping down, as well as running. So there's a, a little, you know, picture schematic that's very simple and straightforward on the checklist. But then yes, on the Zoetis website, there's some really awesome short videos. They're very simple and straightforward, but they really kind of drive the point home of, of how cats move differently when they're hurting.
0: Yeah. Like they're still going up and down the stairs. Of course, they're still going up and down the stairs, but are they doing it differently? Right. Are they pausing to rest? Are they angling their body a certain way to take pressure
1: off a, a limb that's painful? cats, cats are difficult. (laughs) You know, people say, people say cats hide their pain, but I, I think we're realizing that, that maybe they really don't. We just need to be able to identify it better. We just need to be able to do that more effectively.
0: Really insightful. Yeah, to say it's not that they hide their pain, they just present it differently from, you know, how maybe we would or, or maybe a dog would where, you know, dogs are a little more of an open book in some regards. Definitely,
1: definitely.
0: Yeah, maybe cats are more of that than we give them credit for. They just do it a little differently. 100%. So let's talk about Silencia. I know I've been really excited about some of the results that I've seen using Silencia. So where did that spark come from for you? Where did this passion for you know, helping use this to control OA pain in cats, where did that, that excitement and that spark come from for you?
1: Yeah, so really just hearing about Silencia for the first time probably about a year ago, I thought, whoa, this is something really different you know, this is different. And it's funny because I've always been a dog person. I love dogs, grew up with dogs. I have dogs. But I had noticed in exam rooms, you know, seeing a lot of middle aged and older cats that they were uncomfortable. But it was so often passed off by the owners and by me as just, oh, he's getting old. Oh, she's just grumpy. She doesn't even like to you know, do X, Y, Z anymore. So, you know, it was kind of like, we know something's not right, but I didn't really have the right tools or the medications that I felt were safe and effective to be able to treat those pets. So it kind of just got glossed over. So when I heard about Salency, I thought, you know, all right, this is something we need. Like I thought of so many patients I had treated, you know, seen for annual visits, seen for other sick visits that were definitely in pain with you know, muscle wasting on their back legs, overgrown claws, difficulty moving in and out of their carriers. And we treated whatever other condition they were in for, you know, say maybe a UTI or ear infection or whatever it may be. And that pain component just got ignored. So when I heard about Salency, I thought, yes, like I, we need this. We need this. My patients need this for their quality of life.
0: Yes. And I think you hit the nail on the head there where, you know, we're seeing these patients and it's like, yeah, there's this discomfort, but you know, I don't have the answer. I don't, I'm not quite sure what the best way to manage this is. And so to have something that's safe and effective for them, super exciting.
1: Yes. And especially seeing those cats where, you know, an owner cannot give medication at home, like that is not even on the table or a cat with, you know, chronic kidney disease where an NSAID is, is a little bit risky. Some patients, right off the bat precluded themselves from any oral medicine, no matter what it may be. And that's most of the options we had had available prior to Silencia. So yeah, just the fact that it was just a really novel formulation as well was really exciting to me.
0: Absolutely. And then when you did implement it in your own clinic, it sounds like you have kind of developed some techniques, like how you present this checklist, how you talk about Silencia. Can you talk about how you, how this flows in your own clinic? How do you use Silencia in your patients? So right off the bat, I I try to remind my receptionist to mention to our
1: owners of middle-aged to older kitties when they're making an appointment that, hey, Dr. Mayer is probably going to talk with you about arthritis. They're going to get your pet's vaccines updated. They're going to do some lab work. Introduce it just right off the bat. I also like when one of my technicians goes in an exam room to get an appointment started for a cat that they do give the owner the behavior checklist to kind of look over while they're waiting on me to get in the room. That way, they've already kind of skimmed it. They can be formulating any questions. And then I will, um, yeah, I, I rely a lot on those statistics looking at a cat's age, you know, just to say, hey, if we're if we're playing the odds, like your cat's thirteen, he or she is the exception to the rule if he or she does not have arthritis. And I also do try to notice things on the exam and point out to the owner, you know, your cat's not been grooming around his back end. He used to be really good at that. Or gosh, I notice his muscles aren't so thick back here. I think he's not bearing his weight well. So I, I try to incorporate my entire staff and educate them so that the owners of these cats are not just hearing a one-off sentence from me about management of osteoarthritis that they've heard the receptionist mention it. The technician has given them a handout of a very good visual aid to look at. You know, I've talked about it. So kind of hitting them on every every level, if you will.
0: Don't they call it like the rule of seven or something like that, where somebody has to hear something seven times yes. before it sinks in. Yes, definitely. And I do have some owners who will look at the the checklist
1: and, and really say, you know, I don't think my cat needs it right now. I don't think they need this. And, and that's okay. Usually what I'll do is give them the salenciavetteam.com website. The animations are there. I will ask them to video their cat over the next couple days or, or a week. Send me some videos of them moving around at home. And then, you know, do a callback maybe one or two weeks later. What have you noticed? What do you think? Here's what I saw in those videos you sent. And determine, hey, yeah, we do need to get them back in. Or look, his or her mobility
0: is quite good. She's in that slim 10%. That doesn't need anything right now. And that segues perfectly, because that was going to be my next question of follow-up for these guys, because we know that can be a real challenge in our feline patients. They're not always the easiest to get to the vet because they do, you know, either hide their pain or present it in a way that's not as easy to interpret. It can be really easy to, okay, I took them, they got their shots, you know. Onto next year's visit, as long as they can keep themselves out of trouble. So how do you follow up with these guys in a way that really keeps those owners on board? I love the idea of having the owners, you know, send videos and, and really doing that follow-up in comparison. Any other follow-up tips that you have? There are some great social media posts and
1: emails that Zoetis has developed to kind of keep this control of osteoarthritis in people's minds. So that's a good way to to follow up, even in a way that you can message a lot of owners at one time or have a lot of people see your Facebook page at one time. But usually after we have a cat who gets the first um, Salencia injection, I will have one of my technicians call usually about two weeks later and just see how they're doing. Just how's your cat doing at home? Often people will say, well, I don't see a change yet. And that's part of the reason we call is to say, hey, that's okay. This injection can take three doses. So three injections given one month apart to reach full effect. So a lot of it is say, hey, don't get discouraged. Like we're not necessarily expecting anything yet. We'll see you for your appointment again on two weeks. Call us if you need anything in the meantime. And then sometimes at that two-week follow-up call, people will say, yeah, actually, I, she she jumped the other day and it seemed a lot easier. Or I saw her go up the stairs and she was moving a lot faster than she used to. So sometimes it's a, a little, great, we're glad to hear it. Don't forget, you know, we need to see you back in two more weeks, All of all of those things.
0: And that kind of putting that checklist and those behaviors in their hands and in their minds seems like that would be really helpful because then where, you know, instead of saying, well, they're going up the stairs, they were always going up the stairs, that's no change. They know to look for, you know, well, did right. they go up the stairs differently? Did they get in the litter box differently? Or these less subtle behaviors, like jumping and things like that. Exactly. You know, you
1: mentioned too just getting cats to
0: the clinic. That's hard.
1: Regardless, we know across the board that cats have fewer visits to the vet, no matter what. We simply don't see them in our clinics as often as we do dogs. So I think helping owners strategize about their individual situation, their individual cat to get them back in is helpful too. Whether that means sending Gabapentin home, whether that means, you know, encouraging the owner to make the cat's carrier part of their everyday, you know, living area so they're not running away from it every time they see it. Doing things like drop-off appointments to work around owner's work schedules or you know, if they can't catch the cat right at the right time to get them there, you know, hey, it's okay. Just, just get them and bring them in and leave them with me today. I'll, I'll get them taken care of. So I think we sometimes have to kind of think outside the box and be a little bit flexible with cats and, and their owners, just because they're not, small dogs they're different we gotta we gotta meet them where they're at some days
0: <laughs> they are tiny aliens and we need to yes treat them I think
1: that's a more accurate <laughs> description
0: <laughs> that's, I was talking to my daughter and and you know she was talking about dogs coming from wolves and all that and she goes but mom where, where did cats come from and I was like I don't know outer space
1: like <laughs> <laughs> do we even really know <laughs>
0: no I don't know like these are but I love them so much
1: yes uh. yeah <laughs>
0: So yeah, I love that we talked a little bit about some of the challenges that owners can have with bringing cats to the clinic because those are all excellent suggestions as far as really accommodating and making this an easy treatment to get on board for our cat patients. What about other obstacles to treatment? Are there any other obstacles to treatment with Silencia that you see and any advice for dealing with those? I think the
1: main hurdle I've run into is is just owners really not thinking that their cat is in pain or just not thinking they need it. I lean heavily on the statistics and, and let them know, especially for these cats over 12, Odds are your your cat is dealing with some type of arthritis pain. Let's just let's give this a try. It's a very safe injection. The safety studies are amazing. It's been studied in iris stage one and two kidney cats, so I feel safe giving it to those kitties. And a lot of times, if I can just get owners on board for the first injection, they will begin to see a difference and they will come back. I have had several people, um, even some of the very first silencia patients that I had last summer whose owner said, you know, I was skeptical of this, but now like this has been a game changer. My cat is so different. I'm so thankful for this.
0: Oh, do yeah. you run into obstacles within the clinic as well? Not just with pet owners?
1: At first, yes. So I will say, and even for me, like any new medication is a little scary. Like giving an sure. injection of something you've never given for the first yeah. time is a little nerve wracking. And so I think my techs were a little nervous you know, about how do we draw this up and does this stay in the refrigerator? Just some of the very basic questions you have about any medication and those things are perfectly reasonable. And then, too, just like my owners not recognizing cat pain very well, me not acknowledging it very well. You know, my techs weren't really used to having that discussion either. I mean, they can discuss fleas and ticks like champs. You know, they know all about giving someone a spiel before a spay or a neuter. But this kind of talk about pain was different. So it's been kind of cool that we've all educated ourselves at the same time. And they'll come to me sometimes with questions. My, my team is amazing. And sometimes I can give them the answer. And sometimes I say, you know what, I'm not sure I'm going to look into that for you. So it's really been a little bit of a hurdle, just with the newness of it, but it's turned into a really good learning and teaching experience for our clinic, I think.
0: Absolutely. And and I would agree with you the first time I gave it, you know, I was like double and triple checking just one vial. Okay. And, and the dosing is really easy. You know, one vial. Or it's two so vials. easy. Oh my gosh. Yeah but i still had to you know triple check it and i'm like you know what are where are we get doing this how are we doing it and then so i got comfortable with it and then once i was comfortable sure enough i i had one of our technicians was giving it and she's like so i just give it like is it just like a vaccine how do i ah and was getting nervous and in my head yeah. i was like i'm like you you do this more than i do you can give an yes. injection you're you were fine psych- capable
1: of doing things much more difficult. This is no big deal. And yes, you're right. The more they've done it, the more I've done it, the more comfortable we've all become. I think too, kind of figuring out pricing and scheduling, especially how do we schedule these patients At, at my clinic, certainly for the first injection, usually that's part of another visit. We don't often have owners present their cat for pain alone, although that can can happen, but often that first injection is given, you know, when a cat is in for something else, whether it be vaccines or a recheck of another condition. And then usually yeah. one of the doctors will give the second injection as well because we want to hear all right, how's your kitty done after that first injection? What questions do you have? Do they seem to have any side effects or adverse effects? And then after that, typically we will have our technicians give the third injections going forward. Certainly that depends some on the cat, the owner, what their needs might be. or they come in? And regularly for monitoring of other conditions. But that was kind of a hurdle, too, to
0: figure out, like, how do we schedule these patients? This is a little different. So that took a little thinking as well. And I would imagine keeping them on the schedule would also be really important because, like you said, it can take a couple of injections before we really start to see a difference. And so if you just give that first one and you're like, okay, call us and we'll schedule it for a month from now and then they get home, they're like, oh, I don't really see much of a difference. I'm not going to call. Getting on the schedule right off the bat would be really important.
1: Yes, I agree. So we'll try hard to do forward booking, especially for those first three injections. Cause I tell people, if, if you really want to give it a shot, we need to do three. We really need to do three. So we will forward book people, especially for their first three injections. And thereafter, if they want to, you know, it, at the very least when they check out from getting an injection to say, Hey, look, we need to see you again in about 30 days. Let's go ahead and get that on the books. That way owners aren't forgetting. And also our clinic is staying so busy. If you call <laughs> one day and you want to come in the next day, it is not going to happen. So we really encourage them just so they don't forget and also said that that they have a a slot of our time where we can can devote to them we also have the option for people to prepay for injections so like to prepay for the first three because i think once people give that monetary commitment you know they're they're in so that's another way that that you can can do it is have people prepay for the first three and even you know if you wanted to bundle injections thereafter you know three at a time or whatnot
0: that would be an option each clinic can kind of decide on their own if that would be helpful for them I think that's really smart, having them pay for the first three right off the bat. And then that way they're committed and you, you have a much better chance of making it through all three injections to, to truly know if you're seeing a difference, which I mean, if it's anything like the experiences I've had, I feel like there's a big difference. And I really like those tech, you know, check-ins via phone here and there as well, yeah. um, especially
1: after that first injection, like we talked about. And, and even after the others, I think that really makes owners feel vested in the process as well, that it's not just like a one and done, you're out the door, see you whenever. Right. But that one of my staff members is calling and saying, hey, how's Oreo doing? Or, you know, we really wanted to hear how little Francis is this week. That really means a lot to owners.
0: Well, Dr. Mara, it sounds like we're both in the same boat of, you know, feline OA pain. Diagnosing it, controlling it is super important. And now we have this amazing tool to be able to do that. Thank you so much for joining me to go over all of this.
1: You're so welcome. Yeah, I'm excited about this. And we've already seen some great results. And I know there's more cats that are going to, you know, get a better quality of life back because of Silencia. And that's really exciting to me.
0: All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. What a great talk. Thank you, Dr. Mara for joining me to talk about such a cool product. And thank you to Zoetis for making this episode possible. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM. And you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. Important safety information. Silencia is indicated for the control of pain associated with osteoarthritis in cats. For use in cats only. Women who are pregnant, trying to conceive, or breastfeeding should take extreme care to avoid self-injection. Hypersensitivity reactions, including anaphylaxis, could potentially occur with self-injection. Silencia should not be used in breeding cats or in pregnant or lactating queens. Silencia should not be administered to cats with a known hypersensitivity to Furnivitmab. The most common adverse effects reported in a clinical study were vomiting and injection site pain. See full prescribing information at www.silenciapi.com.